you are listening to AI Ready Healthcare. I am Anirban Mukhopadhyay, your host from Tiu Darmstadt, Germany. The purpose of AI Ready Healthcare is to connect the advanced technological knowledge of Mekai society to different stakeholders such as clinicians, industry personnel, regulatory personnel to name a few. You can expect deep meaningful conversations about bringing AI into the real clinical routine. Opinion belongs to whoever said it. Anything said here is not medical advice. Together let's make healthcare AI ready. When you are developing softwares for medical devices, you have to be really considering how the actual approval process works. It can't be an afterthought. It has to be a central aspect of your entire development cycle. To learn more about such a development cycle, the sort of validation that you require for developing such a, a software system and the medical device regulations, its many different aspects within the European Union, we have together with us Monir El Azuzi from Easy Medical Devices. Welcome to the sixth season of AR Ready Healthcare. It's a rather cold but very sunny day here in Darmstadt, Germany. I'm your host, Anirban, and together with my co-host, Henry, it is a pleasure to have with us today a fellow podcaster, Monir El Azuzi. Monir created the easy medical device ecosystem that includes blogs, podcasts, YouTube videos, regular updates in LinkedIn. I'm sure there are more to it and we will hear from him about that. And I guess if we can paraphrase his mission, it would be to make the process of bringing compliant medical devices to the market easier than currently it is. He has a deep understanding of the medical device regulations, especially for the European Union. And we are looking forward to learn more on this topic from Monir. But first of all, welcome to the podcast, Monir. Thank you, Anirban. It was really a pleasure. Thank you, Henri. So it's really a pleasure to be here and really happy to, um, to educate your audience about this topic that is UMDR. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's session of our podcast. Also from my side, I am today's co-host, Henry. And yeah, I want to say a warm welcome to our audience and also to you, Munir. And I would like to start with uh, the very first question for today's session, uh, to which I'm really looking forward to because we're going to cover uh, the regulatory side of things. So uh, the very first question, as it is our tradition in the podcast, about your becoming, what yeah, led you to your journey through basically towards uh, the easy medical podcast and social media ecosystem? No, no thank you for, for this question. And uh, I was not, it was not a destiny for me to, uh, to do all what I'm doing today. So just to also explain to the people that, uh, yeah, you have some plans in life and uh, then <laughs> plans are changing. So as we, we say in my, my religion, so uh, you make plans and God is laughing. So uh, mainly this is uh, something that is uh, happening all the time. And, and I know that and I learned from it also. So I was 
my dream was like to be a plant manager, to be um, the, on the executives of big companies and to be like a senior director, etc. But um, at a certain point, you have to look yourself on the mirror and ask yourself, do you really want to do that? Do you really want to become this kind of person? Do you really want to execute uh, orders without really liking them, if I can say? So there was a lot of politics on that. So I was meeting a lot of executive people, a lot of those things. So at a certain point, I was saying to myself, no, I, it's not what I want to do. It will not be on my culture, on my uh, my value, etc. So it's why I'm saying, okay, what what is the next step? So I, I had to find my way then. Because when you wake up like that, when you wake up like to say, okay, it's not that my way. So what should I do in life? So it was like, it's like a big wake up and say, <laughs> okay. And then it took me a bit, maybe one year or one year and a half. And I stayed at the position I was. So it's not like uh, I moved or whatever, but I, I still doing my job uh, on the corporate and I said to do my job, but I was thinking, what is my next move? So I didn't like give up on everything, resign and move forward. And this and that. So I just said, okay, what is my next, my next plan? What is my next move? I was not thinking of 10 years. I was thinking of next move, just uh, next thing. And then uh, I had some people from on my network that were asking me, oh, you are an expert in medical devices. Can you teach me medical devices? How to do medical devices? Oh, it's easy. It's like this and like that, et cetera, et cetera. I said, oh, it's so easy. I thought it was really difficult. No, no, it's just, it's really easy. It's uh, Here is the point, et cetera. And at a certain point, I said, if there is one person that is asking me that, maybe there is 1,000 person, 1 million person that is asking the same question. So how can I educate those people? And it was just for me, like charity, if I can say it. So it was not like any other idea than education and, and anything. So I started to make a blog, which is Easy Medical Device. Um, and I call it Easy Medical Device because as I said, it's, for me, it's easy. But why should it be complicated? So so you see the marketing, if I can say creativity was really <laughs> low in terms of the name, but it's really, the objective was really that people, when they will go to the blog, it's that they will see that it should not, you should not have like 30 years of experience or having made quality regulatory affairs. Et no, you should, it's easy. Come and learn directly from it. I'm going really to the basics, etc. So, and starting from there, I had people that were so, oh, can you talk also about this? Can you talk also about that? So I started to make multiple podcasts, uh, multiple uh, blogs. And uh, I was at the time also following a lot of uh, those uh, uh, online marketing people in uh, in the US, uh, like uh, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, like Pat Flynn, like uh, a lot of a lot of those people that were there, uh, like Neil Patel. Uh, I was listening during my tr- trip to uh, to the work. I was listening to their podcast. I was understanding and trying and say, okay, let's let me open a blog and just try for myself as a trust. So, it was my learning phase. So as, as I said, I'm still working on my job and I'm still learning my next move. So I, I didn't move anything. And from there, the idea was, okay, should I sell something? Because I have a lot of people that say, oh, you should do some selling as you are a medical device. You should buy a medical device in China and start to sell them, et cetera. And I had a, a, a person on my network that told me, yeah, but what, why you're not just selling knowledges? Say, oh, how you do that? You say, oh, you create a course, you create, I mean, things, and then you sell those knowledge because people are looking knowledge and you don't need a warehouse, you don't need a truck, you don't need, you don't need a place to store all that. It's all on your head. So, so it was my, my thing. So, okay, let's try. So I, then I, I, I followed some people on, on the internet that were selling courses that were doing that. So it was really my learning journey. And at the end, um, mainly, um, I started to have some people that say, oh, can you work for us? Can you help us on this? Can you do this for that, et cetera, et cetera? And I said, no, I cannot because I was working already at, at a job. But as more and more people were asking me and asking me, I said, okay, maybe it's now the time to move and to my next move is, is there. So, And this is where I start to say, okay, maybe I will make it really a project 
that will start. And my objective also also to not have any plan B. So it's a plan A. There is no plan B. Uh, survive or die, if I can say. So, uh, you know, when you have a family, you have a house that you just um, bought, you have all those things. So you have your wife and everything on the side. So they are all saying you are crazy. You have a great job with a good salary and this and that. Why are you going that way, et cetera? So, but as I said, my values were on a novel side to share knowledge, to help and to uh, to do this. And at a certain point, I was able to convince my wife. And then I moved and opened Easy Medical Device. And uh, this uh, the journey started. But as I said, it's not something that started from zero we had really uh, stages before arriving to this uh, this level here yeah this is really a wonderful summary of what you have to go through and how unusual your path is compared to all the other i don't know 40 odd guests from many different parts of the ai healthcare ecosystem that we have received so far so in that way you are very unique it's also very interesting to see that you almost grew something organically yeah. based on the demand of people. And there was not something that was equivalent out there. And now exactly. basically easy medical device, the entire, how to say the ecosystem where you are basically building the knowledge and also, of course, uh, making money out of it. This is becoming a thing that that didn't really exist before you made all this happen. So can you just give us a little bit of an insight that what typically you do within the ecosystem? So is it just knowledge but or is it also something about the documentation and stuff that people create or is it also about the regulatory aspects? Where do you place yourself? Yeah, so first, as we said, so we started with these blogs. Uh, then we started to create a YouTube channel to share knowledge because people were saying to me, okay, uh, maybe um, can I can I watch that while I'm eating and not need to read or whatever? And then some people say, oh, um, and some other people say, oh, uh, now it's the era of podcasts. So let's create a podcast. And then, okay, let's create a podcast. And I started my podcast alone. And then I started to invite people to friends first because they were confident on what I'm doing. And then other people were starting to come because they saw that uh, I had all other people on the podcast. So this is how it is created. And my idea, um, as you said, we are creating that organically. The idea was uh, for me to create my own journal, my own TV, my own radio. So this is the objective at the beginning to not depend on anybody or anything to do all what I want to share. So I create my own media company, if I can say. And then from there, as I said, there are people that are looking for support. Uh, so I created a consultancy firm where I have I was alone myself at the beginning, and now I am hiring people to help on the project. So uh, then I had some people that say, oh, uh, can you do help us uh, to be an authorized representative in Europe? I said, okay, let's open an office <laughs> for that. So I opened an office in uh, in Belgium, and we had also the office in in, in the UK because we had the Brexit. So And we have, I had the office in, in, in Switzerland for Switzerland. So now I can cover the three three countries, Brexit uh, countries, uh, Switzerland and, U- and Europe for authorized representative. Then I saw a company that is called Medenvoy uh, that uh, was doing in- independent importer and said, okay, why not? Because some people were asking me, it's not, I, I'm never starting something just because I want to start it. Uh, I start something because people say, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? And I'm thinking to myself, uh, today I cannot, but tomorrow I can, <laughs> if I can say. So it's more like this mindset to say, give me some time and I will, I will, I will do it for you. Just let me understand how it's working, what I need, what, what should I do? And then I will beat that. So this is how we started to create that. And now more and more, I'm starting to 
listen to people, what they want. And we have worked now with also another company, which is called S-Cube Technologies, where we are offering now an EQMS, Electronic Quality Management System. I mean, as long as people are coming and saying to me, I need this, or I need that, then or I can do it, or I cannot do it, but I will find a way to do it. Or I know somebody that knows how to do it, so then I share with that. So it's also what while uh, on, the, on my podcast, even if I have some people on my podcast that are competitors, if I can say, I don't care, to be honest, um, because the cake is so big uh, that nobody can eat everything. So at the end, I have other consultants on my podcast. I have other competitors. I have people that were talking about even EQMS on my podcast. I mean, it's fine. It's okay. Because as I said, the thing is so big that we I cannot eat the cake myself alone. So it's also this philosophy that I wanted to, to share with the, with the people that I, I'm, I'm working with, or even people that are contacting me to say, I'm not a competitor to you. I mean, you have your business. I have my business. I have my thing. I have my way. I have my knowledge, et cetera. So no need to be afraid of me or whatever. Even me, I will give you some customers because uh, we have so many that are coming that at the end, I cannot handle everything also. So, so this is also the philosophy that I'm trying to bring because I know a lot of people that say, uh, I had one person that says, for example, oh no, I will not come to your podcast because you are a competitor of mine. So it will be like promoting your activity while I want to promote mine. Say, okay, don't come at all. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, go, go your own way and it's okay for me. But this is also the way to say, and I have also this integrity and um, if I can say values where I say, I will help people that are really in need. But if I see something that is not compliant, I will not help you at all. Or I tell you how to be compliant. But if you are trying to make some fraud or some um, to trick the system or whatever, no, I'm, I'm out of the game. I'm not uh, doing this, uh, this thing. I'm thinking long term. I'm not thinking just short term to make some money and then leave. No, I'm thinking really long term. Like I hope in 10 years, the company is still here. I hope we are growing. I hope everything. But to do that, you have to play the game in the long term rules and not just say the thing that you make a big deal and then leave and then it's fine. So, but this is the idea. Yeah, that's really uh, great. I think like from a, how to say big vision philosophy, it, it makes total sense what you are saying, but also like from a mindset that you have this growth mindset and you are saying that even if I can't solve the question today, it's not that I can't solve it in the longer run, because finally, if you are growing, that question becomes part of your organization and how like either as a consultancy or as a knowledge base, you can somehow if you can address it, that's that's really cool. Just just to add yeah. to that, um, all what I'm doing now, I cannot do it without the people that are surrounding me. So this is also the thing to say, I, I'm not alone. Uh, I have a partner in the UK uh, company and India. I have my partner in Brussels uh, office. I have a partner also in other regions. So as soon as, as you, as you said, as soon as I have an idea and want to make a business, my idea is first, who can help me to do that? And how can we partner and create a business together and then I will bring you customers or I will promote the business or whatever, but I need somebody to be there because I'm, uh, I have only 24 hours a day and I need to sleep also. So I cannot be everywhere. So I'm really trying to partner with the, the best person ever that uh, I'm, I'm really confident so that I can sleep well and not having to think about every business that we are, we are opening. Yeah, that, that makes total sense as well, right? Like cooperative growth is something that is really sustainable in the longer run. So you, you, what you are doing totally makes sense if you consider the long-term perspective. We have a lot of listeners in, okay. in this podcast who come from the, let's say, AI method developmental background, and they are thinking in terms of startup, right? But they are probably thinking more in terms of 
the clinical question and also maybe the, the, the software questions, building the software framework around it, but not so much about the actual medical uh, device regulations and how how long they would need to bring their product if something like that comes up into market. So I guess what is a question in on everyone's mind, if I can dilute it, would be like, if we have a medical decision support system for whatever diagnosis that I, I have ready for, for January 23, how long is the typical waiting time for me to hear if it would be approved in Europe? Yeah. So just uh, what you said at the beginning, like uh, also people that are considering regulatory or health, or, um, uh, health laws at the end, we have a lot of customers like that, uh, that are approaching us because the authorities tell them, oh, yes, but your device is not a, med- uh, your software is not a medical device. So first you need to make it a medical device and then you can be on the market. Then they are surprised. Oh, I didn't know that it's a medical device. And then we start to talk to them and explain to them the situation. And then they are starting, starting to sweat, if I can say, <laughs> because uh, it's a really, a really difficult situation. So um, what I would say is that uh, if you plan to have, you should have your product that will be ending in 2023, you should have called already a notified body or people uh, to one year or two years ago. So this is mainly the, 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 the first thing because you cannot be a medical device company or medical device. You can ha- not have a medical device software if you are not contacting a notified body, which is a, a company that is a third party company. So it's not a uh, it's not a, it's not an authority company, but authorities appoint those companies or give an accreditation to those companies so that they can come and give you a CE certificate and also verify your system. So here, just to give you, if you can say the chronology, you have three projects that goes in the same, uh, that should go in parallel. The first project is to create for your company a quality management system. So this can take maybe three, four months to create all the documentation, everything. Then maybe again, two or three months to implement it and start to use it. And then maybe a few months to uh, close and verify that everything is working well. So here, six months, seven, eight months, so that you have really a quality management system that is, is working well. In parallel, you have also to... So the quality management system is, I always compare it to the, you know, in, in, a, in a country, it's the law of the country. How the country should work, how the country should do this or should that. Or the law of your of driving, if I can say, in the street. A car should stop at this sign, should do this, should do that. Um, and the rest is the product itself. So the software, for example, then you can have within one company, you can have 10 software, 20 software, um, I mean, as much software as you want. Uh, so it's like also having on the street uh, a Mercedes, a BMW, a Volvo, or whatever. So you, you have multiple types of product that should follow the same rules, stopping at the, at the, at the sign and, uh, and, and doing those kind of things. Uh, so here you are creating a quality management system that defines on your company how it is working, how the system is working and everything. And you have then to work on your product specifically to say how your product is made, uh, what are the data that proves that your product is fine, what are the information that uh, is, uh, what tests have you done to verify all that, what risk is existing, I mean, etc. So this is the technical documentation that you are creating and it should be done in parallel. And the third one is the notified body. That, as I said, you should contact in advance, should contact maybe, as I said, uh, as soon as you start to have really something that is working and a prototype and something that is good, contact your notified body because they will give you anywhere a date maybe for an audit in 16 months or 18 months or 20 months. So because if you are a startup today and you arrive on this market today, you are really uh, arriving at the bad, baddest time ever 
because this is the years from 2022 until uh, 2028 now, because the, the law change, and we talk about that. Uh, the, the law will change. It's not changed, but uh, we'll talk about that. There are not a lot of notified bodies that are able to operate. And uh, it means also that you have millions, or I can say maybe millions, maybe 200,000, 300,000, 400,000 companies in the world. We are not talking about Europe only, the world that are trying to sell their products in Europe. And they all need a notified body. And there are only 35 notified body or 36 now that are able to do uh, to do this certification. So 36 notified bodies, 500,000 manufacturers, and each manufacturer has multiple products inside. So you see how many certificates have to be created here. And this is why you should think of notified body even before your product is finished so that you have selected one, made a contract with one, and then they will give you the time when they will come to, to audit you. So here you see those three projects are really in parallel. Uh, so you have um, to structure that. And if you were never on this business before, or if you just arrive and this and that, don't do it by yourself because it will take you twice the time to do it. Hire consultants, uh, find some people or hire somebody maybe on your company that is coming and working with you there directly. But don't do it yourself uh, because I saw a lot of companies that says, oh yeah, I will do it myself. Just give me the templates, as I said. And I said, okay, go to my website. There are some templates. I have a shop where I, I, I give the templates because as I said also to to my team and to uh, things. Um, I'm providing those podcasts, those videos, everything, so that people that want to do it by themselves, they can do it. Here are the solutions. It's like giving you a recipe, you know, that those people that are making some videos or giving a recipe on how to do this cake or how to do this. It's not like they are getting some money. But at the end, maybe you say, oh, you do it so well, this, this, this dish or this cake or this thing. Can you come and do it for me? And this is what I'm, uh, if I can say how I make business is that for those that can do it by themselves, they do it by themselves. For those that cannot do it by themselves or say, I don't have time, you have the time or you have, I will pay you for doing that. Then uh, I'm coming and helping them. But for those that want to do it by themselves, I have also decided also to create some templates. I place them on the shop and they can buy them for what, uh, 90 euros or 60 euros instead of hiring a consultant for eight, 180 euros per hour. So then they can do it by themselves. But some of them are buying the product and then they come back to me and say, it looks complicated with this. So it's, can you help me to build that? Because if you have never done it by yourself or if you have never done it once, it's really difficult to, to, to know what exactly they are expecting on this chapter or this test or this thing. I mean, it's not really easy. So it's why if you can do it by yourself, it's fine. But if you cannot, don't lose time. You will lose more money and to wait because each day you are not selling is a day that you lose a customer and it goes to competition. So go to the, uh, find a consultant or find three consultants, make a quotation with three of them and find which one you are more confident to work with. And then we go. I'm not saying go to Easy Medical Device, go to Easy Medical Device plus other consultants. And then we are happy to compete with anyone. If, if somebody else uh, won the game, it's fine for us. Because our objective at the end is to help you to reach the market. Is not to, we are not here to, to make money. Money will come later, if I can say. As always, I'm saying, as soon as business are growing, money will come later. Now we are just here to help and to uh, to educate people. Yeah, it's great that you're offering the service. And basically, thank you for your advice in the name of everyone who is uh, who currently has ambitions to start with a startup company in, in this field. So uh, you've also mentioned that currently the legal situation is a bit tricky. It's a bit complicated regarding the medical device regulations in the European Union. So... I think we will elaborate on that in uh, the further progress of today's session on the difficulties in medical device regulation in general. But first, uh, 
I would like to get some insights into into the current framework of the medical device regulations. Maybe um, could you could you maybe specify some key terms here, such as categorization, intended use, standards, and the required documental evidence for bringing a medical product to the market? Yeah, sure. So we have some terms that are that are used, and um, what I'm always trying to to educate people is to say go to the legislation and there is always the article first articles of the of the legislation that is providing some definitions for some of the terms so it's marked there directly this means that this means that which is better than listening to anyone because we can all have our own interpretation so go to the legislation and they have a section for definition where then you can make your own interpretation of what is said because sometimes we read the same sentence and we think completely different things so it's, which is fine because we had a podcast episode with Eric Volbrecht, one of the lawyers that um, that we have on uh, on the podcast, and he always said, "Yeah, the UMDR was built so that everybody thinks that what they are reading is correct, while it's not. So it's mainly the, the, the issue to satisfy everyone." I said to satisfy everyone. So mainly this is the idea. So uh, here, for example, when you talk about categorization, so we have, um, I mean, the UMDR has the idea to try to group the products, and for doing that, they have two different methodologies which is the methodology of the MDR code. So the MDR code is a, is a code that is given to your products and you have to give it to your product because it's generic um, generic code like um, MDA or MDN or MDS or MDT, etc. So you have to read, if I can say, the description of each of the codes and say, oh, my product is more on this section. For example, software, I think is MDA 03316, if I remember, because we are helping a lot of software companies. So we start to learn those numbers by heart. So this is a number that is used to categorize your products and is also helping your notified body because if I am, for example, an auditor, I am also categorized within those codes, MDAs or 360 or whatever. So it means that if I have a notified body that is capable to um, audit you for your software, for example, is because he has somebody on his team as an auditor that is categorized with this number. If he doesn't have that, he cannot audit your company with the software. So it's also what is important. Not all notified bodies can audit you. Only notified bodies that have the right resources that are, have the resources that can uh, then uh, provide you this service. So this categorization with the MDR code is one. You have also the categorization with the nomenclature. Uh, before, for those that maybe were, were um, on the medical device field before, so uh, the nomenclature was called GMDN before. I can't remember the, the, the name, general, general medical device uh, nomenclature or something like that. And now the problem is that GMDN, you have to pay to get your GMDN code. But in the UMDR, it was said that no, the nomenclature should be free of charge. So the UMDR, they tried to contact GMDN and say, oh, let's make it free of charge and then it will be inside, etc. But GMDN refused or they tried to negotiate and it did not work. So then they moved to the uh, CMD nomenclature in Italy. And now it's called EMDN, so European Medical Device Nomenclature, which is a free of charge. You have a website for it. You can go to the website and find your code directly. You need to put some keywords and you find the code, the code that's going. So you have two types of nomenclature here. You have two types of coding, which is MDR and uh, MDR code and uh, EMDN code. And those codes are helping notified bodies first to select a notify, uh, an auditor within their team to audit you, but also to make a sampling because you have to understand that, for example, if you have a company with multiple products, if the products are exactly the same under the same MDR code or the same EMDN code, 
they will audit only one product. They will not audit all the products. They will just audit one. And if this one is good, the others are also good. And they will do that all along the years because just one thing also, as soon as you start to be audited by a notified body, you will be audited by them every year. So every year you have to pay. Every year they will come every year. So it's a never-ending story. So it means that as soon as you start, don't think that it's, it will be just once and finished. No, every year. So every year they will sample your technical documentation. So, oh, last year we reviewed this one. Okay, this year we'll review this one. And next year we'll review the other one, etc. So they are really circling to try to review as much product as possible. And they are using those categorization codes to identify the type of products, to identify which can, which person which is qualified for those type of products to come. Because imagine that you are coming, uh, you're having an audit and the auditor that is talking to you has no clue what is a software has never made any of those things. I have no clue what kind of testing you can do on software, on cybersecurity, et cetera. I think it will be easy or it will be easy because it doesn't understand at all what you are talking about. So then you get to sell certificate easily. Or it will be difficult because as the person doesn't understand at all, it will, oh, I don't understand that. Are you sure you are correct? And then give some non-conformance because it has no clue what we are talking about and this and that. So you see this common sense is, is lost. So it's why having the right also person in front of you is also important so that you can present the, the right information and then provide those things. Then the intended use. Uh, the intended use, this is one of the most important terms and understanding that you have to have on a, on a medical device, software, or whatever. With the intended use, you can change the classification of a product. You can change a product to be a medical device, to in vitro diagnostic, to drug, to whatever. I mean, intended use is how this product is working, what it is doing exactly. What it, why do I need this product? In many, this is a question. And if you say that I need this product because it's a uh, providing me some medicinal ingredients inside my body, then it's not a medical device. It's a drug. So it's mainly that. If you say this product is to diagnose a certain disease by analyzing uh, some samples, okay, then it's a diagnostic, in vitro diagnostic product. But if you say it's a product that is treating myself or diagnosing by making some like a chest uh, monitoring or whatever, then it's a medical device. So this will define exactly if this is a medical device or not. And this is mainly what we are asking to every company. Even if it's obvious for you, first qualify your product if it is a medical device or not. You have, for example, some uh, companies that comes to me and say, oh, I, you know, I am selling a software that is managing an hospital, like an ERP system. I say, oh, nice, great. And say, oh, uh, how can I make it a class one medical device? And say, say, why do you want to make it a class one medical device? Because it's a software. So it's a healthcare, it's an hospital. So. We have to follow the medical device regulation. I say, no, not at all. I mean, it's not a medical device at all. Does it treat any patient? No, but it's managing the patient data. No. Does it provide any algorithm so that it can define what are the diagnosis or the disease and the treatment? No, not at all. So, so it's not a medical device. So even if it's used on hospital, it's not a medical device. And I had also some people that were coming to me and say, oh, we are, you know, those screens that uh, the surgeons are using to watch, uh, to, to feel the information about their patient or to watch maybe, um, some kind of uh, MRI, et cetera, or, or images. Oh, we want to make them medical devices. I say, why? It's just a screen. It's like a TV. Like every... Yeah, but as we are looking at those images, so it's a medical device. I say, no, the software that is inside that is med maybe a medical device because it's gathering data, maybe providing some display, showing some images, et cetera. But the screen is a screen. It's like a computer. So you have this qualification that is really missing and the intended use is really helping you because each time people are coming to me, I say, what is exactly the intended use of your product. And then when they explain to me, I say, are you sure it's a medical device? <laughs> because 
doesn't look, oh, yeah, yeah, we are sure because this and that. I said, no, 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 I don't know who told you that. But I, and then I, each time I do that because the objective is to show them facts. I show them the law. I show them the guidances. I show them the document. And then if I can say after one hour, they will pay me for one hour or two hours to stay with them and explain them to them. And then they leave and they say, okay, we don't have to make it a medical device at all. So I don't have to lose 100,000 or 200,000 in notified body, consulting, documents, et cetera. They, with a few, few hundred bucks, if I can say, they, they saved their company. So qualification is really important at the beginning and the intended use is really helping you for, for that. The other one is uh, standards. So many standards, you have to understand that you have to do some tests or you have to follow some rules in terms of making a medical device. Like, for example, let's talk about software. Um, we have a standard which is called the 62304, which is life cycle of a software as a medical device. If this one was not existing, let's say, doesn't exist at all, then you as a company, you have to figure out by, that by yourself, how to manage the life cycle of a software. Company A is doing that on a certain way. Company B is doing that on another way. Company C on a third way. But everyone is fine because there is no standard. So you, you then you are using what we call common sense. You try to make it logical that it should be going on that way or that way. So to avoid those kind of issues, we are creating standards so that everybody's following one standard, that the authorities are also knowing, that all the auditors are also knowing, so that we know that this is the best way, the, the state of the art of how you should do this, uh, this management. So if you have a standard, use the standard as much as possible. Some of those standards are harmonized, harmonized standards. Harmonized means what? Means that if you are complying to those standards because it was harmonized to a certain legislation, if you are complying to those standards, then it's like you are complying to the legislation. It's many, meaning that. So if you are not using them, you have really, like I said, to struggle to explain how you are complying to a regulation without using this standard, which is harmonized. So it's mainly another story. If the standard is not harmonized, you can still use it. It's fine. Uh, you have just to mention I'm using that standard. But a standard is also voluntary. So it means that if there is no standard at all that is answering your question or your things, then you are the company that maybe will create this standard and will maybe sell that to everyone to say, I do it on my way and maybe go to the ISO standard and say, let's make a group for this type of standard because it's not existing. And then we call companies because remember one thing, the standards are not created by the authorities. Standards are created by the manufacturers themselves. They are meeting together, manufacturers, consultants, or even maybe some authorities that are coming, but mainly they are coming together and then they are discussing how we should test this, how we should do that, and they are defining themselves the standard. So if a standard is not existing, you can be the initiator of a new standard within your industry because maybe there is a new technology that is created. There was never any standard for it. So then try to be the first one to define the tests, the limits, the acceptable things, because then you can do that and you can impose that to other companies also that uh, are on the same business as you. So standards are, if I can say, important like that. And um, the last point is mainly the required documents that you are needing. So this is really a case by case. You start first, for example, by defining what are the risks of your device. Then by defining the risk, you say, how can you reduce those risks? And to reduce those risks, maybe you will do a testing, uh, verification, you maybe place some information on a label, on instruction for use, or you'll maybe do a, uh, some evaluation on patients directly, etc. So it's a case by case. If it's a wheelchair, the documents that are needed are not the same as a pacemaker of a MRI machine, etc. So this is also the difference with the pharmaceutical industry. In the pharmaceutical industry, you have some drugs that are in, inside the system and the, inside your body and then try to act in a pharmacological way, metabolic way, etc. 
Here on medical devices, as I said, you go from a wheelchair, a pair of glasses. A pair of glasses is a medical device. So you see, I don't know if you, in your country it's like that, but you see on the advertisement at the end, this is a medical device. So mainly uh, just to understand that. So as I said, pacemaker, MRI machine, um, a lot of things that maybe even that you are using every day is a medical device without you knowing that. So you cannot treat a pacemaker on the same way as a wheelchair or in the same way as a glass uh, of things. So here you are defining some classification of products. So class one, two A, two B, and three. These are the, the main classes. And per the class, you are defining which route you will go, uh, you will use to go on the market. And each route is different per the class. Each route is different per the, the product, et cetera. So, so one thing that is really important also for you that are trying to go on this activity, the law or the legislation gives you a framework on your playground. How you play inside, it's your choice. At the end, you have to score the bit, the goal, because we are in the World Cup area. So let's talk about the World Cup. So you are in this field. You have to score the goal. You can go by the left, by the right, by the middle, by the top, by penalty, by whatever. At the end, the objective is to score the goal. This is the requirements of your game and of this. So you have to be compliant to the legislation. How you do that? Decide by yourself. You have the choice. You have the standards, as I told. You have a lot of things. This is the playground, which is different from the pharma industry. The pharma industry, they are they are so guided because I worked for the pharma industry, so I, I know that because I was there. I learned the pharma regulation in no time, to be honest, because it was so guided. It tells me, step one, do this. Step two, do that. Step three, do that. Step four, do that. Step five. It was like guided from A to Z. So when a pharma person is coming to me and tries to say, oh, can I be working on the medical device field? I say, yes, come. But And they say, oh, how you do that? I say, I don't know. Find it by yourself. Yes, but why? There is no guidance, no documents. No, there is no guidance. I mean, find your way. And why? I mean, and they have this difficulty because as they are guided all along the way, it's difficult for them to move to a thing where they have to think. They have to be creative. They have to imagine, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's why I'm saying always when a pharma person is coming to me and say, oh, can you teach me medical devices? I say, I'm not sure, to be honest, that I can <laughs> for that first. And if you want to teach medical devices, forget all what you have learned in the pharma industry. Forget all what you have learned in the thing, because when you will arrive to the medical device industry, you will be struggling because you have still comparing yourself to the pharma industry, for example. So it's, it's mainly this that is uh, a bit difficult. But at the end, when you understand the mechanism and, and those rules of the game, then it's easier easier for you. All right. Thank you very much for, for your explanation and for a great summary and elaborating all the terms. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, also an interesting uh, perspective and a nice comparison to see uh, the differences between fields in the regulatory area. So uh, one thing that actually I found very interesting was the part about categorization and about the categories uh, for different software devices. Because in our AI Ready Healthcare podcast, we typically discuss about software solutions. And um, the medical device regulations are, at least uh, to my perception, mostly targeted at hardware devices. Yeah, regarding software, how about the in intended use regarding software? Is there um, some other factors that influence uh, the categorization of software apart from the intended use, or are there other factors that play a role here when software is categorized? First, just to the history, under the previous legislation, MDD 9342EC, software where, if I can say, a small line 
vacancy on the on the legislation that says software are class one. So many this that so self-certified, no notified body looking at them. Because at that time, which was 1993, the software industry was video games or was, I mean, those kind of things was not like making what a software can do today for a medical device uh, field with also the mobile application with all those things. So there was really a technology move. And this technology move made the change to the regulation. Because I, I know that a lot of people are thinking that the regulation changed because of some scandals that happened, uh, the PIP scandal, the Johnson & Johnson scandal, etc. Those things that say, oh, we have to change the legislation. But there was at those, some of those, not all, but some of those were some fraud. So a fraud cannot be stopped by regulation. So many, this is, uh, this is that. So you cannot, it's not because you are changing the regulation that people will stop doing some fraud. So if you want to do a fraud, you do it. So they changed the legislation because mainly of those technologies that were changed. So software, nanomaterials, 3D printing, all those new things that are happening were not covered under the previous legislation. And if you can see that under the previous legislation, a software was class one. Under the new regulation, it's really difficult to make a software class one. It's still possible. I mean, I'm, I'm also planning a podcast on that with some of my friends because we had some arguments. I said, okay, tell me how, because it's, it's, it looks difficult. But mainly a software will be class 2A, class 2B, class 3, which means that you need a notified body. Class 2A is like the minimum to say as soon as you get any information that is used to uh, provide a treatment or to provide a diagnosis, it's class 2A. As soon as your device will damage the life of a person, irrever uh, uh, damage life without killing him, if I can say so, then it's class 2B. If this, per if this person will get some damage that is are irreversible and that maybe can be, the person can be died, can die, then it's a class 3. So you see here that we have already a categorization just because of those classifications that are used here. So this is the change. The thing is that the pair, if I can say this classification, you will categorize the device in a high risk device or high risk software or low risk uh, software for this. The thing is also that we have software that are, as we call, standalone software that are just used on your computer or whatever. I mean, any computer, you just take a USB stick, you put it inside, and then you have your software. You maybe put some data inside, and it will tell you if you are diabetic or if you are this and that, or it gives you some, some idea of your treatment or whatever. Or you have embedded software, which means that you have a hardware, some analyzed uh, algorithm, uh, receive some signals. It means that as soon as they will identify a certain fibrillation or a certain pattern inside your uh, heart, then they will they, they will uh, make the shock to make your heart uh, wake up again. Because it, there is some algorithms out of that. There, so they have to understand because if they shock you each time, they think there is an issue with, with your heart, then they will shock you every time. So now they have really to be accurate to find the pattern, to find the, everything to say, now there is no signal, but then it's, it means that uh, the, the, the heart is not beating anymore. Then we are making the shock. So you have to have all those software that are also embedded and that can then help you there. But mainly, you have those two categories and you have also within each category to define some, some rules, to define some documentation, some tests that to do, if there are some standards, like this thing, etc. So classification, uh, if it is embedded or not embedded, if there are also some AI, we will talk maybe about that, about that artificial intelligence also inside. There are a lot of different parameters to look at to, as I said, categorize or to qualify uh, software. We have a lot of, um, we have made a blog post on that about uh, creation of a software and also talking about all that, the classification and everything. And I remember, if I remember on this blog post, I was saying, 
in our era, at least it was three years ago, but uh, in our era, we have now people that are waking up in the morning and just thinking, oh, let's make a let's make an application, mobile application that will detect your heartbeat or detect your if you have some issues on your retina or whatever, and they will sell that and they will be millionaire or whatever, and then they will hit this wall of regulation and then they will <laughs> fall down and say, okay. So we have a lot, as I said at the beginning, a lot of people that are waking up in the morning and say, let's do it and then discover it's a medical device. So if you know already it's a medical device from the beginning, if you know already what all the pathway, if you know already all this, your journey will be not easy, still difficult, but you will work really for something at the end. If you are just going heads down and then trying to say, oh, let's make it as fast as possible before another is beating us because he will make it, et cetera. I say, okay, do it if you want, but the other will beat you because the other has a regulatory person in mind uh, working with him or has uh, a quality management system they are building. So anyway, they will be beat you. So you can be as fast as you want and they will beat you. So this is also this mindset that has to be understood. So understanding this is a medical device, understanding the classification of the medical device, understanding the way to arrive to the market, understanding all that categorization of the device, et cetera, will help you a lot to avoid all those burdens. So as I said, a lot of people think, oh, it will cost me too much to hire someone to help me. It will cost you really too much to not hire anyone at all. So it's why it's really important that uh, you are uh, getting or a consultant or hiring somebody on site also. It's maybe the best strategy to hire directly somebody on site. Yeah, that's really a great summary of the categorization intended use and how to think about it as a rather core problem of what you are developing and not just an afterthought. That's really an amazing summary. I guess all of our listeners need to hear it from you. So thank you for that, Monir. One of the things that you mentioned before is about the standards of the life cycle of software yeah. development. And that's something that's typically defined by the manufacturers. And they define tests, metrics, etc. for that. Now, what really is interesting, at least for all of us who are working on AI, so we have this sort of idea of two types of AI, let's say the static AI, where you train your neural network on whatever data you are talking about, and just hoping that for eternity, the data characteristic will remain same, and the neural network you trained with enough diverse data so that it will keep on performing well forever. The reality, no matter what, from uh, electronic health records to medical images, you name it, we have seen again and again data characteristic changes and the neural network performance drops. So here, basically, we are talking about a dynamic clinical environment and a static machine learning that is being uh, a sort of said once that, okay, so this is audited and this is fine. So I guess we have this question now about the possibility of continual learning and also about the post-market evaluation questions where you are talking about once every year, the auditor will come to you. What sort of data they should look at? Should they also look at the old data on which the networks were already developed? how they are doing there, whereas the data characteristic has changed, whether they are looking at new data and should they also look differently at models where which are learning continually because there is clearly not much guidance there yet. So can you give us some insights into this, this particular problem? So uh, the first thing uh, is the fact that artificial learning, machine learning, you cannot, I mean, for now, uh, it will really, be really difficult for you to have a continuous learning. 
you have to freeze your software at a certain point. The idea of an AI or machine learning is the fact that it's learning so that you don't have to turn the button by yourself to say, okay, here are are the things to that. So we we put an information at the beginning. We tell him, you have to find that at the end. And he has to turn the button itself to find, if I can say at the end, the neural network, how you can find this information here. So this is how that. Then during an audit, maybe the auditor can ask you, I mean, I would imagine, for example, the auditor that has no clue about how it's working in artificial intelligence or neural network. Uh, They will say, oh, on this parameter here, why did you put 3.055? And the guy will say, I have no clue. It's not me. It's the machine who who created that number. And this one, why is 2.0 this and that? I cannot tell you and say, oh, so you don't know your products or this and that. So you are (laughs) non-conformant, if I can say so. I mean, the idea is, is as, as soon as you understand how the system is working, the fact that you give something at the beginning, it will, because it has learned, it has created the, these parameters that tells you at the end, it will be, uh, yes, this is a duck. Yes, this is a cat. Yes, this is a dog or whatever, because it has learned the, the shape. It has learned the color, the thing, et cetera. This is how it's working. So at a certain point, you have to trust that. But you cannot trust it forever, as you also said. So you have to freeze at a certain point. Say, we have now a sensitivity, a, a stability of the uh, of the list of ninety eight percent or two percent of mistakes, sometimes or errors or whatever. But ninety eight percent is fine. It's okay because you have even the the COVID testing. There are ninety seven percent of accuracy. You can have some false positive also. You can have false negative, etc. So you have to define those kind of numbers. As soon as you have numbers that are close to one hundred percent, it's fine. But you can be at 97%, 98%, etc., which is completely okay. But you have to stop your algorithm at a certain point. And this algorithm at a certain point will be stopped. And then this is the point where you are defining that your algorithm is working always at 98%, 99% forever, if I can say. But for that, you have to make some clinical evaluation, verify that clinically you're, you are really accurate. Each time you fall on, on the same information, you get the same thing. So you give him 100 patients that have the COVID and he's analyzing and yes, he finds the COVID. And you give him 100 patients that has the COVID and one that has no COVID and he has to find that one. If he finds it, so then he's, he's really also are really accurate. So this is the kind of exercise that you have to do to, to verify the system is working well, if it's validated, if it's, uh, if it's everything is okay there. But yeah, at a certain point you put, now you validate that. Uh, you get a C marking, you put your device on the market. But at a certain point, you say, oh, yeah, but I continue to make him learn on the background, on the development phase. He may he learn, he learn, he learn, and you have a new set of data, a new set of parameters, etc. And now you have to update that. Is it a significant change of your software? Yes. Then you have to redo all those validation, all those things, or C marking again to show that there is some change. Is it really a non-significant change of your software that you are doing? If it's not significant change, you do it without redoing a full C marking on that. So there are a lot of rules to respect on these things. But at the end, AI is just the way to create those parameters for finding the final solution or final answer. It's have to move to this continuous learning. To do that, you have really to provide a full accuracy. You have to provide uh, a lot of testing to prove that each time it's doing something it's providing the right answer. And how you can do that? It's really difficult. Or maybe you are defining a, a cloud system that is always analyzing and verifying and then approving and then giving. I mean, this is things that I don't have the answers on how to do that, but this is the thing where we maybe evolve in the future. 
where we have this continuous learning like a auto, uh, like a auto, uh, autonomous car that will now understand that this is a problem or that is a thing. So he learns and then he will, the next time he will find the same problem, he will again understand this situation, etc. But for now, just for people that are maybe not clear, when you are certifying an artificial intelligence software, you are freezing the algorithm and you are just using the data coming from this artificial intelligence to define then how your algorithm will work. But it's not like it will continue to learn and continue to learn and then autonomously will change himself and autonomously for the next patient will be maybe a different data, more accurate or whatever. No, it's you as a manufacturer that will have to update your software, define if it's a significant change, make a version 3.5.3, and then at the end, uh, recertify, revalidate, reshow everything to the authorities that everything is fine. I mean, this is not easy because as maybe a software developer, each time you want to make a change, each time you want to make a patch, you want to... But you have really to understand those rules, otherwise you will really be failing uh, on this system. Mm, so it actually sounds like we are touching an edge case of regulation here by yeah, thinking of a sort of medical device that adapts continuously while that is actually not the intended way of doing things. I, I said maybe it will be that in future, but for now, I interviewed a lot of people also in the AI field that were certifying their device. And yeah, we had... Um, we had, I can't remember the, the company, but uh, we have that on the podcast, uh, that were explaining to us uh, how they have certified. And yeah, the answer, the question was, to, uh, is it a, a continuous learning? Say, no, we are stopping at a certain point, and then we are certifying this version of the device. And next time we do a change, we do certify a new version of, of the device here. Mm, so, so there are some, some other uh, developments in uh, the medical device regulations at the moment, which are quite similar, I guess, like with respect to modifications of devices and also recertification of devices. And as we've already uh, mentioned in today's session, there are some struggles about that. So can you maybe uh, elaborate a bit on that, especially with respect to the recent developments? So we are recording this episode today on the 13th of December. There are some uh, more recent developments that come fresh from the oven regarding a, a draft proposal for a for, for an addendum to the regulation. So can you maybe uh, elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, so for everyone, so the UMDR started officially on the 26th of May, 2021. It should have been started one year earlier, but because of COVID, they moved it off one year. So 26th of May, 2021. And it says that at this date, this is the start of the UMDR. And for people that have maybe still uh, MDD certificate previous regulation certificate, uh, they will continue to sell their devices even after this date until the end of their certificate, but not later than the 26th of May, 2024. So this is the first. The second for software, for example, any software company that has its product on the market before the 26th of May, 2021, they can continue to sell this device on the market until the 26th of May, 2024, because it will be up-classified. As I've said before, most likely your product that was class one before will become class 2A or 2B or 3. And then you need the notified body before you didn't need that because it's self-certified. Now you need the notified body. So um means that it will take you maybe more time to find notified body, to get certified, etc. So they gave you this time until the 26th of May 2024 uh, so that you can find a notified body and then uh, get certified. But the issue here with those two categories of products is the fact that Notified bodies are not certified as quick as we thought. Uh, so it means that 
at the beginning there were maybe three notified bodies. Now uh, then ten, then fifteen, then twenty. Now we are at thirty-six. Before under MDD and before even MD, we have, were at fifty or sixty notified bodies. So the double. And the problem is that all those notified bodies or thirty notified bodies, they have to certify all the world that we are selling the medical device in Europe. And before the 26th of May 2024, and the notified bodies alerted, they said, hey, guys, uh, we have around 13,000 certificates to certify before the 26th of May 2024, uh, but we have the capacity for only 6,000. So <laughs> here there is a problem. Mathemat it's mathematical. There is a problem. I mean, we cannot do that. So there was then um, a possibility of shortage of medical devices. It means that those companies that were not able to certify their products before this date and get a new EUMDR certificate, they cannot sell normally their product anymore. So as we had this wall that was, that, was, uh, that was approaching, then we had a lot of alerts from the French authority, from the French associations, the German associations, and everybody starts to think, guys, we are we'll hit a hole if a wall if if, uh, if it's happening. So do do some change. The Swiss also were looking at that from the side because they are exiting the European Union, and they decided they said. Guys, you will be hitting a, hole, a wall. So we will also make in our law that we accept FDA approved products so that we are not dependent on you because historically, uh, Swiss is only accepting CE mark product. But if people cannot CE mark their product, then they will be losing products on their country. Then they say, I don't want that for my citizens. So then I will also authorize FDA approved products to be on my uh, thing. So it's the law is in, uh, will be changing soon because it was voted and everybody was saying yes. But after that, so the 9th of December, we had this uh, commission proposal to say, okay, I mean, apparently they kind of say, okay, we have no choice, we have to do that. So uh, they made a proposal to extend the date of the 26th of May 2024 until the 20, uh, I mean, 20, I don't know, but until 2027 for class 2B and class 3 mm -hmm. devices and 2028 for class 1 up classified, as I've told you before, and class 2A devices. Now, the question that is raised, and uh, I'm, I'm planning also to record a podcast uh, end of this week uh, because it's really fresh, is about all those companies that have now a CE certificate that goes until the 26th of May 2024. How will they extend that? Because normally, it's not authorized anymore to raise any MDD certificate. It's not authorized. It's, it's, it's over. So now I don't know what will be the mechanism that they will be doing to extend those certificate or to provide new certificate or to make an exception. We are waiting for that, and it should be um, discussed at the beginning of 2023. So I'm making no assumption, no thing, but yeah, there is a lot of already assumptions that are mentioned inside uh, in LinkedIn, which sometimes I find a bit crazy. But let's wait for the EU Commission to come with a, with a decision, and we'll, uh, we'll look at that. So follow the podcast, follow also my podcast to see uh, what will be the, the information, because yeah, beginning of the year will be really a busy year with a lot of uh, new information about the, the EU uh, MDR. Great. Uh, then I'm really looking forward to the next episode. I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah, and I recommend our listeners to do so as well. Looking at our time frame, uh, we are now coming towards the end of uh, our today's session. And I want to conclude with a final question, which is quite similar to the question that we yeah, typically have for all of our other guests. So uh, in the next five years, what is your vision and what are your wishes about the medical device regulations and the regulatory aspects in medical devices in general. So what would you see, what would you like to see in the next five years? What kinds of developments? 
So uh, next five years is really a short term. So really something that uh, can arrive really quick. So if you can say the long term uh, thinking of of that uh, is mainly that we have more harmonization between all the different countries. I, we have still struggle, we are still struggling because we have a product that is a medical device in a certain country, but not a medical device in another country. We have still some products that are classified as class one in a certain country and class three in other countries. We have to navigate all this because they don't have the same same rules to follow. It can be great for some consultants like us because at the end, yeah, we have more work because we have to help them navigate like some lawyers. But for me, yeah, the simplification, like I say, easy medical devices for simplification. So simplification will be great. Uh, we have a program that is also called a Medical Device Single Audit Program, MDSAP. What I hope is that EU will also be included inside this program because then it will avoid to have multiple audits by multiple authorities, one audit for everyone. And then we are also going to this harmonization. We have also the for software, also the AI Act, Artificial Intelligence Act that is coming. We saw that the expectation from the AI Act was lower than the NDR. So <laughs> this is the alignment could be also great also because the, the AI Act is not only for medical devices, it's for any software that is using uh, artificial intelligence. So I understand that maybe they are lower, but have some ambition, if I can say, put it a bit uh, at the same level also. So these are, if I can say, the things that I'm trying to to fight for, which is harmonization, same same understanding for everyone. Uh, Because if you don't understand the law, if you don't understand what's happening, if you are not clear about this pathway, yeah, it would be really difficult for every manufacturer. And as I said, it's really great for consultants because then we are here to help. But it's not what I understand. My, my wish is really for manufacturers to be able to reach the market easily and, and safely and know what is happening because the manufacturer needs to, each time they ask me, I, I need to know the budget. I need to know the timeline. I need to know this. And sometimes I say, I don't, even me, I don't know what is the budget. When the people are asking me how much costs a notified body, I have no clue, to be honest, because one is charging 500 euro per hour. The other is charging 200 euro per hour. The other, But the hourly rate doesn't care because it's how many days they will stay with you how many time they will spend on your project, how many is, and this I have no clue. So there are a lot of things that even timeline, when a notified body can come to auditors, I have no clue. <laughs> Contact him, he will maybe give you a 15 months, maybe a 20 months, maybe a 24 months to before to come. Each one is different also. So these are those uncertainties that a lot of manufacturers are disliking. They are not really happy of that. But even if I'm an expert, if I'm working on that, I cannot help you on this. I, I can give you maybe the worst case, which is, okay, like three years, it will contact you maybe in three years, try to navigate out around these days. But out of that, maybe you get surprised and you will receive a call saying, oh, now in one year we can do that. But if you don't call them, if you don't get that, you will not know the price and you not know the timing here. So harmonization is really the thing that I would really uh, ask. There is also a project, I, I think, but I don't know if it's good or bad. It's something. Uh, so we have the FDA in, uh, in the US for managing the everything. We have the EMA for the pharmaceutical industry in Europe, but we have nothing for medical devices. So maybe this is also a project that can come to say, okay, let's have an agency that's managing medical devices in Europe. Is it good or bad? I have no clue. I cannot tell you good or bad or what's that. It's political. It's many, many of this. But maybe this is also something that can come in a few years to say, let's, let's have an agency to manage all that because it was messy during all those previous years. So let's make, let's make something more organized also. So. Only the future can tell us. As I said, we make plans and God is laughing. So it's exactly what's happened. On the 9th of December, we made plans and yeah, no, the plans are not working. So 
let's change the plans. But it's good. You have to change your plans when you see that uh, something is not go- going in the right direction. Thank you so much, Moni. We learned so much about a particular aspect that is rather crucial towards ARD healthcare. And yet we never talked about it, frankly, before today's episode in our podcast. I mean, right. you do this wonderful, wonderful podcast that focuses on this particular problem only and all of our listeners who has aspiration of coming to European market and selling their AI-ready healthcare products, they should definitely listen to your podcast about easy medical devices, also your blogs. Uh, You often talk about it in LinkedIn. Today's episode, if nothing else, probably served as a sort of appetizer to the sort of the big gala that you have back there in terms of information. So I really, really hope all of our listeners have taken this episode very, very literally to their heart and learned a lot from it. And thank you so much for being here and sharing all your thoughts. You're completely welcome. And thank you for that. And uh, as I said, the software is a field that is growing in the medical device field. So it's great also to have a podcast like yours that is helping uh, software companies to have a better understanding of what is coming, not only on medical, on, on quality and regulatory affairs, but on all the other aspects of the business. So yeah, it's also good to have uh, some specialized podcast on, on this for that. So thank you for, for, for inviting me.